invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the book of Exodus chapter 14. Uh, We'll be in Exodus for a few more weeks and then we'll pause and for six weeks uh, we'll actually do a series on what uh, some call the last things or the end times and we'll uh, do a six-part series uh, on what scripture says about that. And then uh, usually towards uh, end of July into August, we then as a church family focus on the subject of missions as we anticipate together uh, an opportunity on Labor Day weekend to uh, think of our partners that are across the globe and how we can come alongside them and support them. And then in the fall, we'll come back to Exodus Uh, to go through the Ten Commandments and sort of use each commandment as a way uh, to then discuss the remainder of the book together. So this morning and a few more weeks we'll be here in Exodus uh, and then we'll jump mostly to the New Testament as we discuss what the scriptures say about the last things or the end times. And uh, so this morning we're in Exodus chapter 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi." Haharath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zaphon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will save the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And so he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, 
and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces. And they threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us free from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And that will conclude our reading this morning. There are not a lot of scenes in Scripture that I, I, that I enjoy seeing how a director or an artist might uh, picture. But this is one of them. That if I hear that there's a film being made, uh, whether it's animated or not, and they're going to depict the crossing of the Red Sea, I'm usually I like wanting to see how they do it. Because I don't have an artistic bone in my body. I wish that I could draw things other than stick figures, but I can't. But in my own mind, to try to just imagine what this would have been like at nighttime with a wall of water on the right and the left and the people going through it. I mean, it's amazing, spectacular. And there's a few things that I think are important for us to remember as we consider uh, this ancient story of redemption. It was in the last chapter where the phrase uh, that God had rescued his people with a strong hand, the strong hand of the Lord, uh, was repeated at least four different times. And that was already true in the demonstration of God's power in the plagues that were brought. But there was even a sense of foreshadowing that this strong hand still has more to do. There's, There's more strength coming. There's a greater victory to be won, and we see that here in this chapter. But one of the things uh, that I don't know if it's surprising to you, but it is to me, is just how difficult it is to remember rightly what's taken place. The hard work that it is to remember. Because uh, when eventually Pharaoh says out loud, what is it that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? I can actually, as a teenager, remember uh, someone preaching this uh, passage, and they just came to this uh, question, actually the person's in the room, and I can remember him saying out loud, what have we done to let them go? You didn't let them go. God freed them. 
You didn't make a decision one day that, A, you know, it just might be better off to let them go. No, the strong hand of the Lord was upon you. You have just, as a nation, grieved the loss of your firstborn. You didn't let anyone go. But that's how Pharaoh now is reframing what had just taken place. What, what, what were we thinking? Why would we let all these people who provided so much work and free labor for us as slaves, why would we let them go? And in such short proximity to the type of moment that you would say, well, no one's going to forget what happened. No one would misinterpret what just happened. There's already this uh, reworking of what it was that finally took place, and it's a hard thing to remember. And this happens in ordinary circumstances in a relationship, whether it's with your spouse or with friends. I mean, how often do you have a conversation and you're like, is that how you remember what happened? That is not how I remember that going. And now you're having this disagreement because you both do remembers things differently of what took place. You remember the tone differently. You remember the words maybe differently. And so now part of what you're fighting over is just what actually happened. Uh, there, there's, we can disagree on things, but if we could at least come to an agreement on what happened, that would be helpful rather than we actually just don't even remember it the same way. Uh, our family a couple of summers ago was driving to Virginia to visit a uh, family. And we didn't look up ahead of time much detail, but we realized when we were driving down to Virginia that the path we were going on, then we came upon on the freeway, there started to be signs for the Flight 93 Memorial. And we didn't beforehand realize we'd be driving right past that memorial. And we were on a rush to get there, and so we couldn't uh, just spontaneously decide to stop. But we said on the way home, we won't be as tied to... Uh, a time frame or a schedule so if the kids are doing okay and we're not stuck in traffic or something if we're if we're this close like let's let's go people had told us that they had been and that we should go and it was so amazing for Amy and I to go through the memorial if you've never been there I would strongly encourage you to go it's only a few hours away from here but it was amazing again uh, at that point for us it's over you know 15 years since it had happened this sense that I can remember so much about September 11th, but it took walking through the memorial to then just both of us commenting on, oh, I forgot about that. And I forgot that that happened. I forgot early on people were thinking this and thinking that. And as much as it was for us something that happened, right, on a, on a national and global scale that so much uh, video coverage uh, was a part of it, it was for us this humbling experience to say, for everything we remember, there was so much we forgot. And that's just true of all of us. We remember things, but as each day passes, how we think about it can change over time. And as that changes, it affects the way we view what took place in the past. And so it is, it's not an easy thing to remember rightly what took place. And we see this example in Pharaoh. But we also see it in the, in the children of Israel. Once Pharaoh's army starts coming, they go to Moses and say, why did you bring us here? Why did you bring us out into the wilderness? Which you could say the same thing to the people of Israel. You think Moses brought you out in the wilderness? You think he just had an idea 
to uh, say, hey, let, let's come and do something. I, I think I can give you a better life. It was God who rescued you and who has brought you to this place. And so even they themselves are struggling with remembering exactly uh, accurately what was just their very recent past. But how they think about it, and if it really is Moses who's the one in charge and who's ultimately done this, uh, then they're looking at him and they're saying, we're not prepared for this. We're vulnerable. Yeah, they have the plunder of Egypt and so they've got some gold and silver, but they don't have chariots. They don't have bow and arrows. They don't have weapons. They're not organized yet like uh, Egypt is. And to give them credit, I mean, imagine in their day, uh, these are significant tanks coming their way. And they don't have their own equipment. And so if Moses is the one who brought them out and for everything they've done, they can still see they don't have a lot. They're totally exposed and vulnerable. They're rightly afraid. And I think if you and I would have been among them, we would have been just as afraid as they were to say, Moses, I'm not sure this was as good of an idea as you thought it was. Because <laughs> we're not free yet. We're, now, we're, now we're stuck. We've gone this roundabout way. In the last chapter, it had said that God didn't want to take them directly um, in the shortest path, lest they see war and become afraid. Well, now they're in the roundabout path, and what they see is war. And so they're afraid. And in that fear, there's this uh, incomplete memory of what it was that had just taken place. And so it's hard work to remember that. That's part of why we establish routines. That's why we have holidays. That's why we have rhythms of remembering things. Because if we go long enough without thinking about something, we will forget more than we remember. And the discipline for us to remember the Lord's sacrifice through communion on a regular basis is to continually bring us back to whatever else is going on. We should be a thankful people because we are only here through the sacrifice of our Savior for us. And when we start to think we've got it all together and we can rely on our own strength, it is supposed to be the discipline of worship that reminds us, no, 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 don't get too big of a head. <laughs> don't, don't think now somehow you don't need God as much as you used to need him. No, you'll always need him and we'll always have cause to worship him. And this is difficult work in our interpersonal relationships as a nation, as a world, to remember rightly what took place so that we can apply real and true lessons learned for Pharaoh, it would have been remembering that he needed to humble himself before God. And so then the worst thing he could do was to go further after him. And for the children of Israel is to remember that it was God who really rescued them. And so the main thing that they need to do is actually, uh, you can translate the word here in the ESV, it was be silent, but in other translations, you'll see the word still. Where God just comes and says, listen, I know you're afraid but just be still. And so that's the next thing we see. From the hard work of remembering, there's this faithful call to be still. It's true. Israel's not prepared. In their own strength or even in the leadership of Moses, they're not ready for this battle. But they also weren't ready for Passover. 
and if they can remember that, that it's not in their own strength. And so it's not just them getting angry enough and trying to real quickly organize themselves and they can actually hurry up and wait. <laughs> hurry up and be still. Trust that the God who brought you to this point is the God who's gonna lead you from this point. Then they have no thing to fear. There's no other power out there stronger than God. As I was reflecting on this, it's, it's an interesting question as I hear different people talk about problems that exist in our world today and even in the church today. And as you engage that conversation, you can tell when someone thinks that the primary challenges to the church today are from the outside attacking versus the primary challenge being from the inside out. Because if you think the primary threat to the church and the spread of the gospel are enemies outside, then you're going to pretty consistently embrace a posture of trying to protect yourself from or just fight against whoever you define are those enemies out there. But if you believe that the primary challenge has always been the challenges from within, then rather than looking at everybody else as enemies and you simply trying to figure out how to protect yourself from them, you'll recognize that there are temptations within and without. And that Israel never lost a battle in all of its history, militarily and physically, before they'd lost their way spiritually. Because when they can actually be still and know that he is God and be faithful to that, the Egyptians are no challenge. The Philistines are no challenge. Babylon would be no challenge. Rome would be no challenge. None of those enemies are bigger than God himself. At various points where those other people win the victory, it's because before then, the people had lost their way. They had stopped following after God. They had stopped honoring his ways. They had started fighting with one another. And they did more harm to themselves than anybody ever did to them. And that's uh, how I would frame the challenges that rest today. The most significant challenges to the church are the temptations and the struggles and the sin that we have within it. And so uh, I won't go into a lot of detail, but uh, last week I was having a conversation with someone uh, uh, very uh, much older than me and someone who I respect, but who it's always been difficult to bring up conversations of faith. And I just felt convicted not to try to bring up an argument, but to simply say how, you know, as our family continues to pray for you, how can we pray for you? But it elicited a response that then revealed that this person uh, had very much been burned by Christians that they had encountered. And he actually never could then articulate anything that he wanted me to pray for him. Because for him, he's like, he knew so many people for whom prayer was a substitute to action. And so that's where he went. He said, oh, like all those people who say, oh, we're praying for you and we're praying for you, but they don't care to actually do anything to stop the harm that's being created that makes them have a press conference and say our thoughts and prayers are with you. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, yes, I actually agree with you. I don't think prayer is supposed to be these empty words that don't 
follow up with action and meaningful things. I hope that with me, at least, you believe I'm not trying to use words as a substitute. I'm just someone who loves you and I, I would like to pray with you. And then he started asking me several other questions that just revealed a long pattern of for him hearing people who named the name of Christ but were still racist, who named the name of Christ but weren't open and generous with other people, were primarily selfish in the things that they did. And I just sat there and I said, yeah, it's sad. We shoot ourselves in the foot again and again. I don't have much to say to someone who says, Uh, what do you think is the track record of the church on handling cases of abuse? When Jesus said that it would be better for someone that a millstone was put around their neck and they were thrown into the sea than that they would offend a little one. And the Jesus who said that, who's then said to be the head of the church, then has many people who say they follow in his footsteps. And when legitimate claims are brought up against them will do more to protect the image of the church than vulnerable children. That will always do more damage to the testimony of the church and the gospel than anything out there, than anyone out there. When the world no longer believes that we believe what we say we believe, they can say, we don't have to take you that seriously. It doesn't seem like you take seriously what you say you believe. And I submit that will always be the greater danger than anybody out there that could potentially harm us. For the children of Israel, they don't know how, they don't know why, but God can show them, if you be still and you be silent and you wait on me, I'll redeem you, I'll rescue you, I'll fight for you. And when I'm fighting for you, there's no one out there that you need to be afraid of. And we see that in this miraculous delivery on their part. It's not about how much weapons the children of Israel had. It's not about how organized they were. It was that they were faithful in this call to be silent, to be still, as they were walking in the wilderness. And then it also required faithfulness when the water parted to step in. Like there again, as cool as I think it was, I mean, I think if we're honest, you'd say, would you go in? Like, would you? It'd be hard to go in. Like, it's nighttime. I don't know how much they can see, but this is a, sounds like a crazy idea. And so just as much as things happen that we struggle to remember, there's another lesson here where the way of victory is often unexpected. And so we see this unexpected way of victory. They see an army on one side and a sea on another. In their wildest imaginations, you couldn't have imagined any of them praying, God, would you part the sea? And just like there are things that really happened and we can struggle to remember, we can also, in our own prayer lives, limit ourselves to only what we think is possible and then only pray for what we can imagine. And the reality is, Salvation is usually something we never could have made up. That with all of our creativity, we never would have designed. And so we also don't have to limit God in our prayers to our own vantage point and say, I think you can do something better and greater than we could possibly think of. And he does that. 
And in this strong hand, he shows not only the ability to rescue Israel, to provide a way for them, but also to say to them powerfully, these Egyptians that you see today, you'll never see again. And even the New Testament describes salvation this way. There is this victory that we are given in freedom and forgiveness from sin, but there is also the victory over Satan, over demons, over the enemies of God that we do not have to fear. And we need to embrace and hear both parts of that good news, that God's strong hand is not only in bringing us to a new place, but that he is stronger than the strongest enemy we've ever faced. And that in the cross, he's not only set us free, but he has destroyed the schemes of the devil. And it was totally unexpected. Um, Just as an illustration in our own lives, um, much, much less significant than this, but there was a point a few years into our marriage where Uh, both Amy and I were struggling to find full-time employment. And so we were both working part-time jobs and together barely making a full-time income. And at that point, one of my desires, when after application after application either went undone or interview didn't lead to second interview, that we just sat around a, a couple months later and said, okay, We feel like we're trying. Friends are reaching out for us. We just don't know what's going to happen. So what would I just do if, like, if I had nothing else to do? Like, what would I just want to do? And money was no object. And for me at that time, being part-time on staff at a church uh, was this increased sense of call that I wanted to pursue further training. And so it's like, I'd actually want to go to school. Like, I like reading. I like classes and It's like, you'd want to go to school. Well, that's like the dumbest thing we could do right now because that's going to cost us something. We don't have money for our normal things. So for you to say what you'd love to do is that, and it was, yeah, I don't know how this would work at all. Um, But it's something I want to think of. But at the other time, one of our other burdens was we didn't want to move. Like, we love being in Northeast Ohio. I'm the oddball in my family that I actually love Northeast Ohio. And so the rest of them have moved away, and I'm still here. And that was for us a... I can think of places we could go, but I don't want to leave, so I don't know how to put this together. Um, and eventually found the opportunity uh, an hour south of here in Ashland uh, to consider a seminary that I didn't know anybody who went to, but I thought, I think I could do this and stay local. And, but that day, to go down just to visit the campus, everybody had to fill out a, a pay a $50 application fee. And it was really like, we didn't have $50. Like it was to say to Amy, like, I can't take you on a date if I use this $50, like, for an application, which is not, you know, the easiest ask uh, to make. And then this $50 might lead to, like, a lot more. And we were there gathered together on the campus, and it was a good day. Uh, and at the end of it, they brought us all together, and there's probably about 100 of us in the room. And they said, we're going to put all these applications together, and we're going to do something a little weird. Well, one, first of all, if you came and you've already written a check or given us, like, we're not, nobody's being charged the application fee. Uh, We're just going to waive that today. And I was like, oh, good, okay, at least I'm $50 in the positive. Um, And they said, but we're actually going to pray over all 100 applications. And we're going to pick two. And when we pick two, uh, those two people will get a $50 gift card to our store. And we start praying. 
and I'm not a signs and wonder kind of person. So literally, my prayer was, God, I don't need this. Like, I'm just so thankful. I don't, like, get the 50 bucks back. I don't need my name to be pulled in the hat. Like, this has been a good day. I think I'm going to apply. And so we say amen, and they pull up, and I can see right away that the application is mine from across the room because my picture was on the back of it. And I was like, I just laughed out loud. It's like, you're kidding me. And then they picked another one, and then they thanked everybody for coming and dismissed the day. And so I call Amy, and I'm like, I don't know what's happening, but they waived the check, and I got a $50 gift card. And so I'm going to go to the bookstore. And she goes, no, no, no. If you get in, you're going to need that. Don't go, like, blow it right now. It's like, oh, that is smart. You are smarter than I am. I should wait. Um, but afterwards, uh, we applied then for a scholarship, which we then received. And so a family that I don't know of generously gave a full-ride master scholarship that I was able to be a part of. And after we got the confirmation that the scholarship was received, Amy got offered from a part-time to a full-time job that included health benefits. And then I got offered a part-time job so that I could work full-time while in seminary. And it was just, it was something that we wouldn't have been possible for us to think of even in our prayers to say, how is this going to unfold? We can't see how it's going to work. But it's something that we have to regularly now, so many years later, like remember when we're in moments where we're saying, I'm not sure how this is going to happen. I, I only see this behind us and I only see this in front of us and I don't know how this is going to happen. To just trust that the way it might happen is actually a way we can't even think of. Because God's more creative than we are. He can do things we can't do. He can bless us in ways that we cannot do. There's always an unexpected path to victory. And then the ultimate victory, right? In Christ himself, who would provide for us redemption by being the one not who simply parted the waters and then went through without any pain, but that our Savior would actually enter into the pain of this world and allow the waters to come upon him. Who expected that? That Messiah, who can part the waters, would be the one who would willingly allow the waters to come upon him? so that you and I could be free, so that you and I could be saved, so that he could show to you and I that even though the waters came upon him and he was put into the ground, that he could rise up victorious over it so that you and I could believe that we don't even have to fear death itself. Totally unexpected and magnificent, glorious, triumph for us to celebrate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of your victory over our enemies. The wonder of your ability to provide a way for us when we can't seem to see a way. Father, we, we know it is hard work to remember rightly 
what's taken place in our own lives individually, in our nation, in our world. And so we pray that you would help us uh, to sift through the noise and the biases that we can often have and to take honest looks at painful realities before us. That you would help us to realize that there are more dangers within than without. And that we need to be humble before you. And so, Father, we pray that you would have your way in us. Help us to see our own blindnesses, our own sin. And, Father, we we pray that you would also never limit yourself to our imagination. To what we think of as the way to answer our own prayers but that you would just continue to do what only you can do, that your name would be glorified in all the earth. And we pray in your great name. Amen.